Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. Can you believe we're at episode 50? I'm struggling with that, actually. When I started this little podcast and the journey, I was kind of aiming for, let's see if we can roll out five or 10 and we'll take it from there. So super proud that we're at episode 50 and a bit of a special treat for this episode. Well, I'm not sure if it's a special treat. I'm going to let you be the judge of that. But rather than me interviewing a guest, the tables have turned on this one. And we've got Cynthia Lorraine, who's going to be the podcast host for this episode, and she's interviewing me. How about that? Cynthia is Head of Community Development at Pursuit. She's done a marvellous job on this one. And typically, I say that the guests I've interviewed, they've had a cracking story. It's a marvellous interview. You'll learn a lot. I'm not going to say that on this one because I'm being the guest. I'm going to let you be the judge of that. I had a great time, though. I have to say that. Cynthia did a, a sterling job. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Cynthia Lorraine, what's happening here? Tell us what's happening because I think I've gone from the hunter to the hunted. You have indeed, Jim. Welcome. <laughs> how exciting. Legal Leadership Podcast. I don't, know if, I don't know how you feel about being in the guest seat today, but I have to say I'm loving being in this chair. So we're episode number 50, firstly, to start off with. How about that? I remember... It took me about 12 months of just thinking, you know what, I really should do a podcast. But like anything in life, until you take the first step, you're never going to get anywhere. So I'm actually, I'm pretty, not only excited that you're interviewing me today, but I'm excited that we've got to 50. Yeah, so it, it, it's super exciting stuff. Congratulations on 50 episodes. So 50 episodes. I, I've got a ton of questions. So I'm going to jump right in. I mean, it's been an absolute blast, Jim, having you in London with the ever-growing Mia team over the last few weeks. I know you're now in New York, all set to go. So how, how was your time in Europe? What was the highlight for you? Okay, so the, the context, of course, we've been locked down for the last couple of years. So I've been just absolutely itching to get out. I did manage a couple of weeks, you'll recall, um, in November and December, where we got out to New York and brought the teams together there. And what we did in those couple of weeks... I think we didn't really achieve in terms of connecting, rapport building, some innovative ideas. I struggle to think that we achieved that in the, in the previous 12 months. So that really fired me up for coming out. As you know, I spent the last couple of weeks in, in the UK with the EMEA team. And again, the in-person time, I just think it is so valuable. And now here in New York with the New York team, it is my favourite part of everything, of working. I just, I think that is where the real fun is, where the real innovation is and where the real human connection is. So, as you can tell from my voice, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, absolutely. And as we said, this is the 50th episode of the podcast. The whole theme behind the podcast is about celebrating innovation within the in-house legal community. I know you yourself are not an in-house lawyer, but you have spent a huge amount of time developing relationships with DCs, and actually, personally, you've demonstrated a huge amount of legal innovation in going from being a super successful partner at one of the largest firms in the world to becoming 
a founder and CEO of a legal tech, tech company. So I, I kind of want you to talk us through that journey. Now, how did it come about? When did it come about? Yeah. Okay. So, so my professional career, as you know, has been in law firms and most of my time a, 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 as a partner, most recently at DLA Piper, and that was up until 2016. So what happened? So there were a, a, a convergence of a few things. Firstly, I was approaching 50, and I really wanted I, – I had a long, hard think about what 50 to 60 looked like, and I had a fear that it, I couldn't distinguish it in terms of the learnings I had, the work I'd done, much from the previous decade or two. So that was kind of number one. <laughs> number two, I could just see so much innovation in the world, digital innovation, and – I had a vision about what that might look like in legal. And the third thing is I got to a point where I just didn't want to die wondering. We all have a very short time on this earth and I thought to myself, I don't want to leave any cards on the table. I want to, you know, give it a shot. Um, and so it was a combination of all those things that got me thinking it's time time to start learning something new and it's time to actually see if we can re- – I can realise the kind of vision I had around what Pursuit might do and essentially around how in-house teams and law firms, what their relationship look like in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, I mean, for those that don't know, tell us what Pursuit is and who it's helping. So, Pursuit is essentially a best practice software platform that helps in-house teams choose the right firm at the right price for a particular scope of work with a real outcome-driven focus. So what does that mean? Shifting kind of the industry away from engaging outside firms on an hourly rate and simply just to get the work done, however long that piece of work might be, whatever it might cost, to to empowering the in-house team to think about the scope of that work, what are the goals and objectives, and then to get it out to their trusted firms and undertake a more transparent and a fair process amongst those trusted firms for making sure that you're choosing the right one at the right price for whatever the particular piece of work might be. So a real change from hourly billing to to more fixed and certain fee pricing, which I actually think is much healthier for the industry. So you're really outcome focused rather than what we talk about input focus, how much effort has gone in, how much time have I spent. So that's essentially, so we're helping the in-house teams, but we're hopefully, and I think we've seen it right now, we're also helping the law firms because the law firms on pursuit, when they're responding to scopes of work and what the outcomes clients are looking for, they are really focused on how they can deliver those outcomes and price those outcomes in a way which has given much more certainty than the traditional hourly billing method. Yeah, no, fantastic. So really kind of bridging that disconnect, if you like, bridging that gap. Correct, because ultimately I think Pursuit will be successful if we work out a way, and I think this is the path we're on, to really improve the relationship that exists between the in-house teams and their outside counsel um, and deliver insights about that improvement and, as I said, move the industry so we're thinking about outcomes and how we can deliver those outcomes in the most efficient and cost-effective way. Awesome. And and what about the name, Jim? I mean, why Pursuit? What does that actually mean? 
It's funny. So I can't take credit for the pursuit name. A very dear friend of mine also started off as a lawyer. We went to law school together. Very quickly, he he took a different career path, marketing guru, essentially. And at the time of thinking about what we were going to name pursuit, he'd literally scribbled down on a post-it note and sent it to me, spelt the way it is, P-E-R-S-U-I-T. I looked at it and I said, that's it. And there's, you can read whatever you like into it, whether it's, you know, pursuit as in the pursuit of whatever the goal is, pursuit. There's a whole lot of things that conjure up in the imagination of what pursuit actually means, which, is, which I like too, because it's a bit of a talking point. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a fabulous name. Jim, I'm curious. I mean, was tech, do you think tech was somewhere at the back of your mind? What did you want to be when you were 12 years old? You know, did you, did you kind of have that in mind? It's a good question, and I, I don't think it was tech. What it was was kind of innovation, whatever that means, and being an entrepreneur. So there was, I think, as I kind of developed in my career and as essentially you're a service provider to, you know, to corporates, to entrepreneurs and so forth, and I think I would often longingly look across the table at the, you know, at the builders of these great organisations solving problems building teams and I just thought certainly after a while that is the side of the table that I wanted to sit on and that's where I got to do I want to die wondering about what that might what that might be like yeah no, awesome and, and so let, let's look a little bit sort of a bit more in depth at legal tech as a sector in, there's been a fair amount of advancement in the legal industry introduction of e-billing, e-discovery, document automation. But, you know, there is this general perception that lawyers are largely resistant to the adoption of technology. Has that been your experience? So what's the answer that I should give to this question? Look, I think by and large, I have to say it has been. It's, of course, not universal, but by and large, I think it has been. It has been hard work. And I just don't think it's part of the natural makeup, whether it's innate or whether it's by virtue of the training, the risk identification and mitigation part of the training you are you, you undertake as a lawyer. So for us, certainly pursuit, it is it has been about identifying who are the early adopters. Who have the different kind of attributes, the attributes of curiosity, of continuous learning and continuous improvement? Asking the questions, why? And am I doing something which I can do better? Rather than, am I doing something that I'm comfortable with and I know? Because that's the easy place to be when you're comfortable. And I think by definition, whether it's any kind of technology, it doesn't need to be legal tech. It has to, be, and especially when it's kind of uh, cutting edge or at the forefront, it's simply untested. You can't be comfortable. You've got to be uncomfortable but curious about what the future in that space might might look like. So obviously the, the conservative nature of lawyers hasn't been any surprise to you, but what would you say was maybe your biggest misconception when you embarked on the journey, when you were starting out? That I thought it was just going to be easy. Really? I thought it was going to... Yeah, well, when I say, like anything, it's hard work, but I had no idea, I have to say, I have no idea how hard it was going to be. 
And I think certainly as a, as a founder, you don't really appreciate what the true odds are of you getting to a point where the, cust- the, the, the company becomes successful and then starts to be in the fortunate position of being able to scale. The odds are really low. And I think it's it kind of, I think it's really, and that's why a lot of founders do succeed because they don't actually understand the true odds. I reckon it's way less than 10%. Whereas at the time that I embarked on the journey, I just assumed that, look, it's got to be 60, 70%. I reckon I can make this happen. If anyone, if you could wind back the clock and you can actually do a mathematical calculation of what the odds are of success, whether it's techno, whatever kind of business, but particularly technology, especially when you're category creating, it's way less than 10%. It's a kind of a, it's not a very sensible gamble <laughs> to take, but thank the world that I did take it and I'm in a, you know, we're all in a really fortunate position now to be able to, to start, you know, scaling early successes. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what would you say has been the most pleasant surprise for you? The most pleasant surprise I think ultimately has been uh, firstly surprise <laughs> that we got out of that survival mode and that we actually started, we got to product market fit because for a while, Cynthia, I talk about being in the wilderness and it is in the wilderness and you're all alone. You feel you certainly feel like you're all alone and it's hard to see a way out. When you're one year in, two years in, and you don't have a single customer on board, that is scary and lonely. But when you start actually getting the first and the second and the third, I think the level of kind of pride, the way in which that galvanizes the team that you build and the way then that actually attracts new team members, I think that has probably surprised me the most. The level of excitement that when you get through those difficult early stages is palpable. And I talk about struggling now with sleep, not because of worry, but of course, but because of sheer excitement at the opportunity that we've got ahead of us. It's a great position to be in, I have to say. Absolutely. It's hugely, hugely exciting. I mean, you talked about product market fit and you know I guess now pursuit is very much in scale up mode so as a founder if I were to give you an extra 10 million dollars worth of budget Jim what would you do what would you invest it in for what would I do okay so that's an easy answer to that question it's two things people product (laughs) get the best people on board deliver the best product. We do that. We're ultimate, we're a software company that wraps up a world expertise service with that software around engaging outside counsel and the kind of the legal sourcing part of that. So it's all about where, where does the money go? It goes to those two things, develop the best product in the world, employ and train and motivate the best people in the world. That is a winning formula. And, and so that's where, that's where I'd invest. Sadly, I don't have the ten million, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, <laughs> so I mean, Jim, let's, let's. If you if you did, it'd be well spent. <laughs> <laughs> it would be well spent indeed. I've loved the last forty nine episodes of the podcast. I really enjoy listening to them. You're obviously normally the host, so you're normally in this seat, and you spent an incredible amount of time talking to general counsels from some of the largest corporations in the world. What would you say has been 
the most significant discovery that you've made about the in-house community in having these conversations? I think probably just how impressive that community is. I think when you know, we do some research and we, we go through the profiles and we talk, of course, with our guests about what the, their goals, what they've achieved and so forth. And I have to say, most of the times when I finish off those calls, I think to myself, boy, I can be a better version of myself. Look how much the guests I've got, look how much they've done. They're open to learnings. I think, the, I think we have no limitation on our ability to achieve both professionally and personally and impact people around us. And that's what I have found really most satisfying about my guests, their professional, personal developments and achievements and the focus they have on impacting on others. It's hugely impactful. And that's hopefully that's what I, I try and take that away and think about that a lot and certainly for I'm not sure I thought about that early enough uh, in my career. I think we're all, I don't know if we're all, but certainly I was very focused on me. <laughs> but I've been really impressed with my guests uh, and their focus, their focus on, on their team around them. And do you have any innovation heroes, whether like in the legal sector or beyond? Are there people that you Really yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call out an obvious one, and apologies for doing so, but I, I am I'm gonna call out a, a Jeff Be- Bezos. So I think about that journey as it happens. You've asked me that question. I'm in the middle of reading, uh, working backwards with, which is authored by two of Jeff Bezos' early lieutenants, uh, and they they basically go through what it what it was like to be you know, what they call about an Amazonian and what those early days were like, but the you know, packing up the family, driving across the country because you had an idea that the internet might be a big thing, that you can sell books, and just his obsession with customer experience and the way in which he built a team around that obsession as something which, you know, I, I aspire to. I do because he's impacted on millions of people. I think they're up to almost a million employees alone, let alone the customers, the many tens of millions of customers. So that's probably a, and having, you know, having been now a founder and seeing how hard it is, I just can't help but be so impressed with what Jeff Bezos has done. Yeah. And I mean, kind of on that theme, you know, when you look at an Amazon and, you know, everything that's been achieved, what do you sort of feel about the future of legal tech? What do you, where do you see us going in the next three to five years, say? I think what does it tells me that focus on customers and delivering value and however you define your customer segment, for us, it's certainly in the in-house team, but it's also the law firms because they are, the, they are users of the Pursuit platform. But the obsessive focus on delivering value to that community, your customer community, and being willing to continuously learn, assuming you're wrong on most of your hypotheses, whatever you think is, and actually just being continually willing to learn. It's, I think that the lesson for me is that your organisation and the value you're delivering is only limited by your, the limitations you place on yourself and the limitations you place on delivering that customer value and customer experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm curious, Jim, you, you've talked about 
this great book that you're reading. You know, you obviously have a lot of knowledge, access to knowledge that, you know, you, you get, I guess some of it will be from talking to clients and, 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 and other things like that. But how do you stay on top of your role, both as a founder of an organization, but also as a legal tech founder? Like, you know, how are you keeping abreast of what is going on in, in the world of, of law tech? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure I am. Like, like anything, you're just feeling your head is just above water. Sometimes if you know a little bit about lots of things, that's great. But ultimately, you know, at least for the business you founded, you've got to be deep in relation to a lot. Some things are probably do well, some things not so well. It's a continuous struggle, I think. But if as long as you recognise that everything is about learning and getting better and improvement and that you're not going to master everything by definition, then you can be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think that's something, that's certainly something I have learned, particularly you know, in this recent journey, being comfortable, not knowing everything, being comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's where the growth and the learning really ha- happens. You will have heard me on my episodes talk about comfort being the enemy of growth. And, uh, you know, I genuinely believe that. So, yeah, so short answer to the question, I'm nowhere near on top of everything, but I think being comfortable with that is the way to get through it. Yeah. And if let's say if you could master one thing in the next 12 months, Jim, what would you what would you really like to invest time in? Oh, that is a good question. So here's my answer. Motivating and retaining the best people. That is for me that is the superpower I kind of aspire to. Can you energize, motivate, galvanize the best people and make them passionate about what they're doing and feeling valued, contributing, learning themselves and genuinely excited about being on the journey? Because that kind of collective power amongst a team is unbeatable. And so if that's the one thing I could master, that would be it. That's really interesting because I would have thought that I, I see that as being your superpower. So what would you say is your current superpower? If that's the one thing you want to master, what do you think is your existing, you know, superpower that you it, It's funny. So I think, I think it's certainly – I don't know if I'm going to call it a superpower, and I think it has certainly changed, but I have certainly in, my, in the more recent part of my career – worked out that being able to genuinely motivate people and energize them is a strength. And that's why, but but it's certainly not mastered. So if I was to call out what I think is certainly a strength of mine right now, which I'm working on getting better and better at, it's exactly that. It is energizing people. And that's why I'm so excited when when I'm back in person. I'm just better in person, I tell myself at least, than I am on video. But I think, you know, bringing, bringing great people in, sharing the vision, vision, helping them actually create the vision too and contribute to it because then you get personal pride and you see the, you see the outcomes of your, your part of that vision in your whole collective. That is super, super motivating and something which I just don't think a lot of opportunities come across your way where you can have that kind of impact. So, 
that's what I'm hoping I will develop a superpower into. If it's one thing, just energizing the people, the team. And then more broadly than that, Cynthia, hopefully energizing a whole community, a whole community, the in-house team and the law firms around a way in which they can they can collaborate better, they can achieve better outcomes, and they're not fixated which on something which I think is unhealthy, which is the input. How many hours can I spend? How many hours am I targeting for the year? It's 2,000. That's how I'm measured and my success is measured. I just think that that's not healthy and I think there's lots of studies <laughs> around that. And I, I just think it's because we are valuing input rather than valuing, I'm going to call it creative output because I think that, you know, for obvious reasons, that is what, that will create a much healthier industry for us. So if I could, if I can have a time, if we collectively can have a tiny contribution to doing that, then I think uh, I think it's been well worthwhile. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, I mean, on that, Jim, if what's, I guess, what would be? You've talked a lot about there are elements of pursuit that I suspect people wouldn't have known for listening to this podcast. Is there one other thing that you would really, really like people to understand about what pursuit does that maybe they're they're not currently seeing when they just look at it as, you know, another tech platform. Like, yeah. So, so I think the answer is yes and, and, and here is why. At first glance, it might just say, oh, look, there is an RFP platform. Okay. Oh, RFPs are uh, – the acronym kind of sends a bit of a shiver up your spine, so that's just painful. Okay. So the immediate reaction might be, oh, it is painful. But what it's really about – is improving relationships between the in-house team and your law firms. And if, if we can solve that problem, which we are certainly starting to do, I think we're at about $5 billion worth of proposals coming through Pursuit and all of the insights now we can deliver back to not only our in-house teams but also law firms that's helping improve relationships. I think that's the key takeaway for listeners about you know, what is the one thing that I'd like them to know about Pursuit. It is about improving the relationship because ultimately in the long term, unless we're delivering that, then we're, 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 I, don't think, I don't think we'll be the success that we will be when where we deliver those insights to improve the relationships. Jim, I've got, when I listen to the podcast, there are, I guess part of what I enjoy is listening to the journey, understanding the journey of how you know, the guest has gotten to where they've gotten to. And one of the questions that I love that you always ask is a question that I want to ask you. And I'm going to round off the interview by asking you this one question. So what what advice would you give your younger self? And I want to add a slight caveat. And the caveat is, what's the advice that you give your younger self that you think your younger self would heed? So they are two excellent questions. They're excellent questions because the first one is mine. <laughs> and But the second one is really good. So, okay. So, well, how long have you got? Because there's a long list. <laughs> there's a long list. What are the things that stand out for me? I think number one is it was too much about myself. Okay. When you're 25, it is very much about yourself. You're kind of driven. You've got professional ambitions. So you're very focused on your personal achievements. So one thing I would certainly advise myself is that it is not just about you, okay? If I'd learned earlier the power of empowering others around you as early as you can in your career, 
I talk about a book, Ego is the Enemy, which that's Ryan Halliday. He talks about that. And I, I think to myself, if I had done that from an earlier period, I would have had a much more satisfying early career. And I think you just build relationships and people and you impact on people. And I didn't know that at 25. And that, that's certainly the first bit of advice I'd give to myself. Not just about you. Think about how you can empower others because that comes round in spades. Would I have actually listened to myself on that one? I think certainly partially. I was pretty kind of focused and driven and you know, me, me, me. I think I probably would have had a level of impact. How much? I'm not sure. Second bit of advice, and I hear this advice come back from so many of my guests, all that time worrying. Worrying about the next move, the next step. How much of the time is that time is actually time well spent? Not much at all. Would I have heeded that advice? Probably not. I was a warrior. <laughs> Still kind of am. I've got a lot better at it right now. And kind of you can afford to be. There are you know, big milestones in my life, my children, their education and so forth, success in the early career. That's their past. So there's kind of less to worry about. But as I said, would I have heeded that kind of advice? Probably not. And what's the third thing I probably would have advised myself back at 25 is is thinking about really thinking about the long term. Sometimes by doing that all the time, you, you fail to be present. Okay. You are always thinking about what is the next goal I'm going to achieve? What is the next career milestone? And we, you know, sometimes I even do it today. You're on the phone, but your, your family is around the table. So that, you know, so I come back to the being present. Easy to say, hard to do. Okay. But those, and you know, those moments, sometimes it's in the car driving the kids or one child to school, being present and not thinking about and not taking a glance and not thinking about the phone call that's coming up and so forth. Like, that is really, really important because, and you hear this, but lots of people, that time disappears. You don't get it again. I don't know how much of that advice I would have, uh, I would have heeded early on, but it's just so important. And sometimes, and now when I find myself in those old habits, I do try to check myself and try and be present because it's super important. There's always something in the future. There's always a problem to solve. But what there isn't always is that moment you've got right now. And that kind of dovetails. And the last thing I say is the most precious thing that we have, we all have, and you can't, no matter how much money you've got, you can't buy any more of it, and it's time. And being really, really thoughtful, really thoughtful about how you're spending your most precious asset, time. Because what we've got a habit of, and I've got this bad habit, you think time is infinite in the future. You think that's the way we are as humans. You think it's infinite, but it's not. It's not, and then suddenly it starts shrinking, and that, and then you re- and as you get a little bit older, you you realise that. So so treat time as really finite and really precious, and make sure you're absolutely doing or making the most of it, enjoying what you love, and being with the people that you love. Because remember, Cynthia, three things: someone to love, something to do, something to look forward to. It's kind of really simple. <laughs> Love that. You love that. 
yeah, those three things, you know, that it's not too complicated. We all search for happiness and so forth. And that, you know, that can be a long journey. But sometimes if we just simplify things, think about those three things and think about how precious the time that we've all got. As I said, sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not so good. Was that a very long-winded answer to that your was, question? No, that was fantastic. And actually, I feel like I just had a therapy session. That was really, really encouraging. Uh, I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure if the audience is going to feel like a therapy therapy session, but no, I've really, really valued. Yeah, just being able to sit and speak to you and understand, you know, firsthand. Just some of the journey, some of the thinking, some of what you're hearing. It's incredibly valuable. I, you know, I, I feel very, very grateful to be part of the team. But um, yeah, and I've loved being in this week. So I might get used to this, Jim. Watch out. Well, I tell you what, let, let's schedule in now the episode 100. Okay, so we're 50 weeks away from episode 100. Let's schedule it in and, and, and see what the conversation's like then. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jim. It's been great chatting. I've had an absolute blast, Cynthia. Thank you so much. Bye-bye for now. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.